You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. As Advent is a celebration of Christ's coming, then we do well to practice a discipline of attentiveness. And so our sermon series uh, this Advent is called Watch. And we're going to be looking at five prayers in the Gospel of Luke, in the infancy narrative of our Savior, that invite us to watch, to do just that. They're invitations to set our hope on the living, on the coming God, and to watch for Christ's coming, not just into the world, but into your life and into mine. We're going to discover this morning, as we come to these first of these prayers, that Mary is able to find something to hold on to that allows her to let herself go. The first of the five prayers is is in Latin, as the ancient church remembers it, Fiat Mihi, Fiat Mihi. May it be done with me. May it be done to me, according to your word. This is a prayer of Mary. Well, let's look at it together. Would you open up your Bible to Luke chapter 1? Uh, verses 26 through 38. And you find that on page 831 of the Pew Bible. And if you're able, let's stand as God's people together and read this prayer aloud in the scene in which it emerges. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. seems to be that sometimes good news comes to us dressed as bad news. Luke is writing good news. That's what gospel means. It's a gospel. He's writing good news. 
And uh, when Jesus in Luke's gospel first opens his word in public ministry, he will speak good news. He'll use that phrase gospel. And when the angels come here in the birth narratives, they open up with good news. And so it must be that this angel Gabriel is speaking good news to Mary, but it sure sounds like something other than good news. I've asked myself, what, what would good news have sounded like to Mary's ear, this young woman? If I could call her a woman, she's undoubtedly a teenager. The age of betrothal was 12 years old. She's as young as 12. She lives on the margin of society in the great Roman Empire, so far to the margin that we wouldn't probably recognize her town, so Luke has to tell us it's in Galilee, names the region, Nazareth. What would good news have sounded like to Mary's ears that day when the angel came? Maybe it would have been, behold, the Roman garrison has moved up the road away from your home. Maybe it would have been, behold, your elderly parents will recover from this illness and continue to live and support you. Maybe it would have been, uh, behold, your fiancé with whom you're just engaged, Joseph, is going to get a job promotion. He's put in charge of the carpentry for a, a Roman villa in Jerusalem. I think this would have been good news. And we could recognize it as good news and we would celebrate. Mary would too. But not this. Not this. Don't come into my house and tell me, a 14-year-old girl, possibly, that I will soon be pregnant. An unwed single parent in a fiercely traditional conservative society in which the welfare of any woman, let alone girl, is surely tied to her relationship to men. And she's got one relationship to a man who will know for sure that he's not the father. And he will think he knows that he has been betrayed by the one woman he had been kind enough to sweep into his care. And it won't be long before all of Nazareth knows the story of an unfaithful young woman. So shame, grief, economic misfortune. Does this sound to you like news? Simeon will put it straight to Mary after Jesus is born. He'll say, this child is a sword that will pierce your soul. So much trouble in one person's life. We've all heard about good news that's dressed as bad news. We've heard about stories of someone's traffic was bad and they missed their flight and so they had to get on a later connecting flight through, and which meant that they missed one of the 9-11 planes. Stories of, a, of an elderly parent who falls on the sidewalk and dislocates a shoulder, has to go into the ER and gets an x-ray that reveals there is a malicious uh, disease, but now that it's been caught in, a, in an early stage, it can be treated and this life is saved. Stories of business partners who have a falling out and one fires the other. And, uh, but in the destitution of that uh, dismissal, that uh, fired one discovers, reconnects with his entrepreneurial spirit, which is really at the center of who he is and how he has been gifted. See, oftentimes good news does come dressed as bad 
makes me want to look at the news in my own life. And I wonder what you see when you look at your life. When you think about what's happened this past week, when you think about what's happened this past year, when you look to the future, your anxieties, what do you see? Do you not see things that look unwelcome? But I wonder. I wonder if maybe there's something more in all of that. Mary, you see, she can't make sense of the news that's in her life. This angel comes and he says to her, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she's much perplexed by his words and pondered. I never quite understood this. An angel comes and speaks to Mary and she's worried about his words. You know, (laughs) I'm face to face with an angel. But she thinks about what he says. She ponders. Luke is emphatic. She's much perplexed. She can make no sense of it, but she tries. The word ponders, the Greek word dialogizomai, from which we get the English word logic. She tries to make sense of what the angel is saying. She's looking for the good. She's challenging it. Dictionary tells us dialogizomai can be translated as discuss, argue, consider, reason, wonder, or question. Oftentimes, Mary is portrayed to us in popular uh, uh, media as somebody who is this unquestioningly submissive. But that's not the picture that Luke gives us. I I love Mary's freedom to question what an angel has just said to her. She's cross-examining. Dia logitsomai. Dia means a cross. She's going back to him with her questions. She's poking. She's prodding. She's exploring the meaning of his words, trying to let it sink in, trying to let it fit with what she knows about her life, with her hopes and dreams. But all of this investigation seems to resist. It seems to be inscrutable. More question than answer. The poet uh, Rainer Maria Rilke in his uh, letters to a young poet says this. I think Mary would agree. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart. And try to love the questions themselves. Like locked rooms and like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. Ponder the news. Challenge it. Question it. But if at the end of the day there is so much uncertainty that you really can't hold on to any of it, what is it? that we could hold on to, that would allow us to let go of ourselves and say with Mary, fiat mihi, let it be done with me according to your word. See, Mary needs to find the one thing that is certain, that allows her to live with all of the uncertainty, that allows her to surrender to God. And so do you, and so do I. And what is that? I believe it's the word of grace. And this this is the invitation for the morning. 
It's to let yourself go by holding on to the word of grace. This is what Mary does. Luke calls to the surface this idea of God's word. He uses two different words for word here in this text. And he frames the whole scene by a word that's spoken and not quite understood and a word to which Mary surrenders. And all the way through the story, he keeps talking about what something's called. Did you catch that? Oh, what they're going to call Jesus, what they're going to call this child, what he's going to be named. And and then, interestingly enough, the uh, angel Gabriel, and I'm not sure angels are really supposed to do this. He kind of opens up the file on another client. You know, he, he says, I, I just want to just give you a peek into the Elizabeth case. It's going on right now. Because he said, you know, um, do you remember what it is that they call your relative Elizabeth? And she remembers. They call her barren. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to tell you what they're calling her now. Because God has called her a parent. We call her six months pregnant. Because nothing is impossible with God. And I think now the penny is beginning to drop in Mary's mind. So I think now she's starting to understand what it is that she can hold on to in life, this, this word that God is speaking into her life, this recharacterization of bad news into something that sounds much more hopeful. She knows what they will call this son, and you do too. The polite word is illegitimate. That's the PG translation that they use in, in John chapter 8 when people are teasing Jesus. The charge of illegitimacy will follow this family all the way through Jesus' adult life. She knows what they'll call him. But the angel says he will be called the Son of God. That's God's word for him. This one whom we call despised and rejected, suffering and infirmed, stricken and afflicted, he is the one whose name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This one who is born into the shame, into the crisis, into the trauma of Mary's life, will be called God's Peace. So I wonder what it is God is doing in the midst of the trauma and the shame and the burdens of your life as well. Is there a word? Is the word of the Savior taking shape in the circumstances of our days? Can we be watching for him even in our pain, in our rebellion, in our sinfulness? Is he coming so far as to enter into that? Nothing will be impossible with God. It, literally, in verse 37, that's no word will be impossible with God. Nothing said by God can be impossible, one scholar renders that. And, and therefore, Mary says with that confidence that no word will be impossible. It's then that she says, well, then... Let it be with me according to your word. Garrison Keillor tells a, a story, a fictional story, one of his books about a woman named 
Grace Tollefson and her three children. She, um, against the wishes of her parents, married a sort of a dashing young man at the time who 12 years and three children later will leave her abandoned. He was good for nothing. Name is Alex Campbell. And as Alex Campbell exits her life and her family, Grace finds herself penniless in a distant city and needs to return home to Lake Wobegon. And she just throws herself upon the charity of this little community. There she lives when one day she receives a letter from Philadelphia. It's a scholar who is researching genealogy, and he asks for some information from Grace about their family. And so she dutifully provides the answers and sends off the letter, almost forgetting. But one day, a reply comes in the mail. It's from Philadelphia. It's addressed to a, a certain Grace Tollefson. But beneath her name reads the phrase, Your Royal Highness. <laughs> she opens the letter, not being able to make any sense of it, and reads, Today is the happiest day of my life as I greet my one true sovereign queen. This researcher claims that uh, her branch, the branch of the Campbell family into which she married, was first in line, the succession of the royal family of Scotland. And that shows a, a line on a chart to her three children. And we read uh, in the words of Garrison Keeler, right straight to her three children, Earl, Marlis, and Walter, the royal family of Scotland, living in Lake Wobegon in a green mobile home. <laughs> Furniture donated by the Lutheran Church. <laughs> they were astounded beyond words. Disbelieving at first, afraid to put their weight on something so beautiful, afraid it was too good to be true. But then it took hold. This was grace, pure grace that God offered them. Not their will, but his Grace. Here they were in the same dismal place, but everything had changed. They were different people. Their surroundings were the same, but they were different. As years go by, the youngest son, Walter, learns that, of course, this was a fraud. That they're not, in fact, royalty. But it had changed so much of their lives that he felt it would no longer be necessary to share this fact with any of the family members. And so he withholds the information. And in the twilight of Grace's life, she marvels at her son, how royal he seems. Oh, Walter, what would I do without you? You're so strong. You're so good to me. You're a prince, you know. They can put a crown on a dog and call it a prince, but you are a prince through and through. They may not know it now, but they'll know it soon. Next year we'll be in Edinburgh with the bands playing and the flags flying and the crowds cheering. There's a lot that this young Mary doesn't know now. There are a lot of questions that she can't answer. There's a lot of news in her life that she'll not be able to sort out through a lifetime of pondering. And yet there is one word that is coming 
so certainly, so crystal clear into her life is the word of this one son who is taking shape soon within her womb. It's the word of God who speaks clearly to each of us, a word of grace. That is the meaning of Gabriel's words to her. That is the meaning of the greeting. Hail, favored one, graced one, the Greek tells us. The one who is known to be in grace and who will be held in grace. That's the one word that allows her to hold on despite everything else that swirls. I'm reading this book uh, this, this week, a wonderful book that Michael Adney shared with me. Uh, it's called Washed and Waiting. And again, a, a small book. Uh, you know my preference. It's written by a, a, an alum of a Wheaton College, Wesley Hill. And it's so honest about the struggles of life and the face of temptation and the desire just to kind of give it up and to surrender, not to God, but to surrender to the bad news. And as Wesley's sharing, his struggle, by the way, is with his sexual identity. And he's sharing this openly with a friend who, who said, whose name is Chris. And he says, you know, Wesley, they say that Origen believed, the great um, philosopher of the ancient church, that before we're born, we're in the presence of God. He says, I don't actually believe that. But what if it were true? What if you stood before God, before you came into this world, and he was really clear with you about the brokenness, about your pain, your sinfulness, about your struggles in life, about everything that will happen. And then he asks you, well, do you want to do it? Do you want to live this life? What would you say? Listen to to, uh, Chris's words. He says, imagine yourself standing there in the presence of God, looking down from heaven on the earthly life you're about to be born into. And God says to you, Wes, I'm going to send you into the world For 60 or 70 or 80 years, it will be hard. In fact, it will be more painful and confusing and distressing than you can now imagine. You will have a thorn in your flesh, a homosexual orientation that is the result of your entering a world that sin and death have broken. And you may wrestle with it all your life. But I will be with you. I will be watching every step you take guiding you by my spirit, supplying you with grace sufficient for each day. And at the end of your journey, you will see my face again. And the joy we share then will be born out of the agonies you faithfully endured by the power I gave you. And no one will take that joy, that solid resurrection joy, which, if you experienced it now, would crush you with its weight. No one will take it away from you. God has spoken a word of grace into your life. That is the one thing, no matter who you are, no matter what you wrestle with. Would you think about the words in your life? Think back about the news in your life. Yes, there's bad news. And there are words hanging over our heads. Some of them we utter, some of them other people utter. Words like failure, uncool. I know that's uh, what they say about me. Broke, lost. Grieving, lonely, guilty, bitter, sick. All these words and others. 
Those are the words of bad news. There are other words of bad news, sometimes, frankly, that hang over our heads that we don't even recognize as bad news. Uh, words like self-will, self-righteous, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity. But there's another word. There's another word that frees us from all of that, that allows us to let go of ourselves and that's the word that God speaks. I went and looked through the Bible at just a few of the places where God speaks directly to us. I want you to hear these words as though the Lord were right in front of you speaking this to you this morning. Listen to what he says to you. You are my beloved. You are forgiven. You are being saved. You are clean. You are my child. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You're of more value than many sparrows. You are my friends. You are my witnesses. You are my temple. You are Abraham's offspring. You are members of my household. You are a royal priesthood. You are my body. You are my people. Fiat mihi, let it be done to me according to your word. Surrender, you and I oftentimes think of surrender as defeat. That depends on to whom you are surrendering, doesn't it, and the nature of, of the conflict. I want to suggest to you that when we surrender to God, we don't surrender to one who wants to get the best of us. We surrender to one who wants the best for us. For us, And really the kind of surrender that we see in Mary is the kind of surrender that basically pulls ourselves out of our own way to open up for us a path, a highway for the grace of God's love and Jesus Christ. Jürgen Moltmann says this is really the entire purpose of prayer. When we pray fiat mihi, or any other prayer, what we're seeking is not our own wishes. We're seeking the reality of God and are breaking out of the hall of mirrors of our own illusory wishes in which we have been imprisoned. A couple of questions for you. You might ask yourself, how am I resisting the assurance of the gospel, God's good news? You might ask yourself, how am I resisting the demands of the gospel to yield not just your life, but your lifestyle to the good news of Jesus? Fiat mihi, let it be done to us according to your word. Let us pray. We watch for you, Jesus Christ. You have come you are coming, and you will come again. Grant us the grace to hear the word that you're speaking to us this morning. To hear that one word in the midst of everything else that we ponder. Grant us the faith to perceive that perhaps whatever else we're going through in our lives might just be what you're offering us to get our attention to shape and to mold us more by your good news that Christ is being born.
within us. That we're to know more of His love, more of His grace, and more of His hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.